0: This is the Talk Editions Podcast. On today's episode, we celebrate the first birthday of Lizard Tongue, an album by Nina Dante and Bethany Young, which we released on Talk Editions, well, a little over a year ago. Lizard Tongue was created at the intersection of Dante and Young's practices as improvising performers and as composers. The album features their voices in conversation with found objects from the natural world and instruments made from clay and wood. We had a beautiful conversation with them about collaboration, the recording process, and the cultivation of intimacy. But before we get into it, just a quick special note for people listening right when this episode comes out who are in New York City or close by. Talk will play a piece by Bethany Young at our concert this Wednesday, November 9th at 8 p.m. at the Domena Center. It's a really gorgeous and spooky program. Tickets are pay what you can. We strongly suggest you reserve them in advance, though, via our website, talkensemble.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes as well. I hope we see you there. But without any further ado, here's a conversation between me, Charlotte, and Laura of Talk Ensemble with Nina Dante and Bethany Young. Well, thanks for being with us here today. Yeah, welcome. Bethany and Nina, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having us and also for supporting our music and putting out our album. Oh my gosh,
1: thank you for trusting us with this beautiful, beautiful record. And we're so excited to have this conversation with you guys to celebrate its yearish anniversary. Yeah. yeah,
0: a belated birthday celebration for Lizard Tongue.
1: Woo!
0: Yeah, I got my party hat on.
1: What's
2: really funny and what I didn't notice was that the first year anniversary really almost just within a few weeks coincided with our first live performance of the album, which just feels so bright.
0: That's amazing. Talk about the first live performance. It's hard for me to imagine performing the album live.
3: Yeah, I mean, we had to go through and decide what we wanted to be tape so things that we couldn't do live per se and what we could do live and then we triggered that with foot pedal and we came up with a choreography for everything we really felt that it should have some very striking visual component if we're going to bring it to the live scenario that was like a very new creative territory for both of us that was really exciting
1: Could I ask y'all to describe some of this visual choreography?
2: Yeah, well, um, it varied per movement, of course. And just like we did in the album, we really wanted the materials to dictate the movement. And it was really interesting because once we started practicing the piece and working with the entities from the natural world again, the movements became very clear to us what we needed to do. So um, for instance, in uh, the shells dance, there's a lot of rhythmic material tapping shells and also holding um, strings of shells that Bethany made. And we were doing some walking in circles and kind of motions up with the hand as we shake the um, shells, like moving the hand up to the sky and then kind of crashing it back down with the emphasis of, of the rhythm that came out in that moment. And actually, oh, Bethany, tell them about the living leaves.
3: Well, I think one thing we were thinking about was this spectrum of intimacy and how that related to spatialization. So on a track that seemed more close mic or intimate in sonic character, we then wanted to work with a spatialization either where we were very close to each other or close to audience members. So in this part where we use these living leaves, I went out into a courtyard and cut all the weeds back and made like a little bouquet and in the performance danced with them like swooshing them around in various physical formations near the audience members heads so you could like walk out into the path of the audience and so that created sort of an intimacy between me as a performer in that moment while nino was at a more distant location so it's kind of a reimagining of the reverb effect from the album in terms of locale
1: i'm wondering when y'all were working on this album and producing it and sculpting the sounds that show up on it with the reverb and all the different you know processing things that might be happening was intimacy what you had in mind when you were sculpting with the reverb, and if so, what the importance of intimacy in this specific work is?
2: Well, that's such a beautiful question. I don't want to entirely speak for Bethany, but I think we're on a similar page with this, that the album is actually based on an intimacy with the world. Of course, the centerpiece of the album is our voices interacting with different entities from the natural world, stones, wood, living leaves, some flutes made out of bamboo, pebbles, that we, over time, formed personal relationships with these specific materials just by working with them over time, which, for us, I think, stood in for a larger intimacy with the world where these all these objects come from, where we come from, of course. Mm-hmm. Bethany was really the mastermind behind mm-hmm. the, the sound of the album itself, behind the sort mixing. of the technological aspect, yeah. the mixing and things like that. So it was important to us for the sound to be a world so that you felt like just another creature in the world surrounded by the sounds. And I do think she did a lot of beautiful work with panning and a very delicate work with Reverb that I think allows that to happen in the album, but she could probably speak about that more in depth than I can.
3: Well, I think there's also this element of intimacy in the sense of like you're entering a psyche that exists between both of us and our relationship, like the psyche of not Bethany or Nina, but Nina plus Bethany plus this whole concept. And also Nina and I haven't really worked this closely before this album. So in that sense, we were drawing into the intimacy of our own artistic relationship as well, kind of expanding that to the next level.
0: Right, Bethany, your your training is more as a composer and Nina's training is more as a vocalist. So in that relationship, it's usually pretty clear like the composer makes the plan and the performer helps to execute it. But how can you describe more about how your roles might've been different on this project? It was actually
3: very equal. I don't know if you agree, Nina, but I think we were making decisions consistently throughout, equally. (laughs) I don't think I was more the composer or the singer or Nina more the singer. We, We were actually just kind of drawing on each other's strengths in each realm. So like Nina has different strengths as a vocalist than I do, obviously. And I have different strengths as a composer, but we were working very much in, I don't even want to say parallel. It was very symbiotic.
2: Yeah, it was it was so interesting because we were in the recording studio at Columbia, which anyone who's been in there, it's just like a box, no windows. You don't feel time passing. And it did feel like we slowly became this one cave creature with one weird brain working together. It was beautiful. We had a lot of really lovely realizations about each other that we may yeah. not have known before. One of them, I, I was laughing so much at the time, but we realized that we have different instincts with like, Bethany's really good at like, Lateral things. I mean, Bethany's good at everything. What am I saying? But my my instinct is to be very like drawn out for yeah. things to get into these trances and loops. And Bethany's really good at like interrupting that and taking things on a turn. And it was so exciting to explore bringing that together.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering if you guys could describe a little bit more. The process of creation, we've gotten into it a little bit. Y'all became a cave person in the Columbia Computer Music (laughs) Studios. But how much um, pre-planning went into it? How much really had to come out of the natural elements that you found? Or were you looking for specific things when you went out to collect the natural objects you were working with?
2: Maybe I can talk first about what we did before we got into the studio, because almost everything happened in the studio, which was really exciting. But before that, we did meet several times and we just got together and we brought all of these natural entities that we had been collecting over time or that we had gone out recently thinking they might work well with us and what we wanted to do. So we just got together and put ourselves and them on a huge pile on the floor and started playing around with things and thinking about what could be lovely groupings of sounds. We did some very basic mappings of ideas to try and start with. And then we just went into the
1: studio. And how long were you all in the studio for? Oh God, I don't know. It was. I asked that how because long? I feel like I remember y'all being there for a days. Yeah. yeah. Well,
2: Laura, you and I were, were roommates at the time and I felt like I was telling you for months, oh yeah, I was just in the studio with Bethany working on this. You must have gotten so sick of hearing that.
1: No, it always filled me with delight, but I still have no, no concept of how long that process actually took. No, I don't think I know. It was
2: a summer, actually. The full summer. I think it was like the summer of 2019. I remember being very hot a lot while we were walking. Hmm. to the studio with armholes of dried plugs. So we were working for like several months, maybe once once a week,
3: once
1: or twice a week. What sounds are people hearing on the record? What did you collect?
3: I think we both kind of had weird collections of items. I have jawbones from... Somewhere I found I was on a hike in Colorado and brought them home on a plane with the flesh still partially intact. <laughs> and then I boiled it and so it was sterile by the time we
1: <laughs> by the time we performed on them. We like those high risk performances. Leave the flesh on, you know. Important <laughs> yeah. details to know. And then
3: there is some seed pods that I collected along the river here at the Hudson. Nina, you had hay. Yeah, dried corn. Actually, something interesting about
2: dried corn is that not only is the corn itself a wonderful sound if you scrape it, but also the husks themselves, if they're kept on there and they're dry, they make the crackling sound of fire, which is such a beautiful delirious sound, very delicate, kind of high and sparkly. So, um, yeah, and we had a lot of shells too. I prepared some clam shells and Bethany had made these two instruments just of shells on strings and then stones on strings
3: and the sticks
2: oh yeah and then a big bundle of sticks on strings so you can really use them in play with each other so that's all on there and then of course we we did a lot of different things with our voices we tried to use as wide a gambit as we could and there's very little transformation done technologically with the voices although we did a little bit here and there but I think my favorite thing we did with our voices. On the album, was singing into water, which makes the best sound. You get the bubbles. It's very rich and crocodilian sounding.
0: (laughs) How did you? I know both of you, this isn't the first time that you've used materials from the natural world in your musical process, but can you remember what started you down that path of seeking an intimacy with nature as part of your musical practice?
2: Bethany, you have a much longer history with that than I do, actually.
0: Well, I think. Just by nature of
3: wanting to work with found objects in my music. And then that included natural objects and not natural objects. And then I became, I would say, more attached to the natural objects. And then thinking more and more about the visuals, I guess the symbolism of those objects with relation to climate change.
2: For me, this is a journey that I've started pretty recently in the past several years. And I think for me it was born more out of a desire to kind of connect with the lineage of music. Because of course, like the oldest instruments that we have, they're made out of the bones of animals. They're they were made out of wood. Like it all came from the world. And I, I my belief is that music was sort of a mediation between humanity and the wild world a way of speaking back to the world that speaks in so many languages and in so many ways and that I also want to feel like I'm part of that lineage so I I would like to be um, making music with sounding objects from the world that have their own music and I would like to be making music about the world which I think is what it was about in the beginning although of course there's no way to know that but that's what I say to myself that feels very meaningful to me
0: that's cool I really like on this album how a lot of the vocal sounds are so visceral and intimate and sometimes my brain when I'm listening gets tricked into thinking that the shell sounds or whatever like the more percussion sounds are also somehow part of my body as I'm like listening and empathizing with the voice sounds so I think it's like a really rich sort of palette of symbols and sounds that you created on the album. Charlotte, you could give
2: us no greater gift. (laughs) (laughs) It felt at a certain point like we became Holobians with these objects, that we became like lichens, you know, Mm -hmm. fungus and an algae sort of meeting up and turning into something weird together, something new. And that was a good feeling. Of course, that's fleeting. You put the object down, you move away. But it was a good feeling.
3: It's funny, the contradiction of feeling that way and being in a very, you know, a recording studio is a concrete space with all this technology, blinking lights around
2: you. Well, we had yeah. to turn off the overhead lights because yeah. it was like, it was too much information.
0: So I want to also hear more about your relationship. How long have you two known each other? Do you remember your first meeting or your first collaboration? Talk about the genesis of Bethany and Nina.
2: Bethany, I think we met, there was this uh, vocal ensemble that had formed in Chicago, and they were doing like old music and new music. And both Bethany and I were part of that for a while. And um, I think that was our first meeting. And I'll never forget, Bethany was having coffee in a green mug. And I remember that you were really happy to have a green mug. And I was like, I so get you. That's, yes, I get that. But it was for some reason that
1: really struck
2: me. (laughs) I
1: don't know. You still have like that big green mug that you use.
2: We met there. And I believe the first time we worked together together was when Bethany wrote a piece for um, my ensemble, Phonema Consort. And it's such a beautiful piece. It's called Bodyscape. And I was so grateful because she asked me to write the poetry for that piece. So I was getting to intone my own poem. And when she asked me to do that, I was like, wow, this is like giving me so much information about Bethany, like that you were willing to open up a collaboration right from the beginning and that you want the voices and the bodies of the people intoning the works you write to be that to own that material to have it literally like flowing from them as much as possible that it's part of them in addition to being part of you and i i just appreciated that so much and it continued that way through our other collaborations
3: i really liked her poem So we kept working together.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then Bethany um wrote a wonderful solo voice piece for me called a La margo And she had asked me also to write text for that. And I I wrote this text based on a dream, which of course it's always so interesting to share a dream with another person because we all have our own symbologies in our mind, our ways of interpreting dreams. But I was like, this dream is safe in the hands of Bethany Young. And she wrote such a wonderful piece that kind of melded technology, technological aspects and then live-sounding voice. So those have been our main collaborations. And then Lizard Tongue, which, of course, was the most entwined collaboration we've had.
0: So you mentioned, Nina that Bethany asked you to write a poem for this piece that she was writing for your ensemble. Can you talk about how unusual that is in your experience of working with composers. Why did that stand out to you? Just assuming that maybe not everybody listening to this podcast is like in the middle of the new music world, like why did that stand out?
2: Well, you know, I have interacted in that way with composers before. Actually, Bethany's partner, Pablo Chin, I've written some text for him as well. Um, but it, it's interesting because it, Pablo and I have been making music together for a long time, since 2011. So we already had a very rich musical collaboration. We trusted each other. There wasn't like a question mark, like, oh, is this going to work, you know? Um, But I think with Bethany, we knew each other, but I think you were also engaging in a bit of a risk there. Like you wanted to engage with this, like going through a question mark. Um, But it is pretty rare to get to have so much of an impact on
3: the formation of a piece uh,
2: in my experiences as a performer mostly doing kind of formal new classical music
3: but i i mean i also nina it, it was a risk because we hadn't worked before together but i also knew nina's practice just by seeing her perform so often um and i knew her energy on stage and My husband, Pavel, told me about her poetry, and I knew some of that. And so it was a risk, but I also kind of knew what I was signing up for. Um, And you made something really beautiful. And then also that score has a lot of freedom, too, for you to embody, bodyscape in particular, for you to imbue your own artistic rendering and you took that and ran with it, too. So match made
2: in heaven. It really was. I know. I don't think anyone was worried about it. But it it, it, is so, it is so nice to, like, as a composer, open the doors to the creative psyche of the performers who are going to be performing the piece, to ask for their psyche to be involved in the creation of the piece. That's so meaningful. It's such a beautiful process, and it really deepens. Intimacy, again, to use that word, between composer, performer, creator, and creator, which is cool.
0: Okay. And what about right now, zooming back to the present? You mentioned that you recently did a live performance of Lizard Tongue. What else are both of you working on right now? What's coming up in the future that people can keep an eye out for? Well, we don't have any collaborative work right now
2: on the books. I'm sure that that will happen again soon.
3: I mean, I want to tour Lizard Tongue at some point. So that is a, you know, a brewing dream of mine, especially after now having done it, we'll have documentation of it.
2: um, Well, that would be such a beautiful opportunity for us to also like continue to expand our understanding of the physicality of the piece how it yeah. flows, the movement aspect, the theater aspect, um, which it felt like we were probably just scratching the surface in this first mm-hmm. performance that it could go.
3: Yeah, reimagining it for different spaces too would be an interesting challenge because um, it did work really well in the last space. It was sort of like this old converted church into art space sort of vibe.
2: My big personal project right now is actually a digital project that's it's on Instagram and also TikTok, but it's it's called The Snake Said to the River, where I'm singing a lot of different folk songs and telling stories and reciting poetry and doing plant IDs and nature discussions ro- rooted in the place where I live in the Pacific Northwest. So my life is a big broth of plants and folk creation and the harp right now, in addition to the work that i do in new music and teaching as well which is joy it's a nice mix what is coming up for you bethany
3: um well right now i'm trying to write my dissertation (laughs) i am composing just not as much as i would like to i'm working on this series that is not for any ensemble in particular it's called atavist series so this particular piece is for three performing bodies and so they use their voice that's my son (laughs) crying in the background and so they use their voice and then they do certain movements that impact their voice in certain ways so it's a it's sort of a theatrical thing as well and then there are electron live uh well this version there's tape electronics but other versions will have live so that's what I'm working
2: on. If you don't mind me asking a question, could you tell us what's up next for TAC Editions? I'm curious if you have anything on its way.
1: Yeah, right now, TAC Editions is like largely revolving around the podcast. We just had the, finally, like the long postponed um, release event for a release with Ashkan Bazadi for the song cycle that he composed for us called Love, Crystal, and Stone which is based off of the poetry of Federico Garcia Lorca, translations by Ahmad Shamlu, And that release took the form of a hybrid book and CD. The book, of course, comprised the poetry in its original Spanish and in Shamlu's Farsi translations, as well as an original essay written for the project by Saharna Samanajad. And it also featured paintings by uh, Iranian artist Mehrdad Jafari. And was designed in this beautiful conglomeration by the Chicago-based design house Sun and Zimmer. So we finally got to celebrate that because I got COVID last time we were meant to do that. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, we have a few things uh, percolating in gestation yeah. right now, but we're not actively like bringing anything to the surface right now in terms of, in, except for yeah, the podcast, which we're going to keep interviewing people yeah. sporadically throughout the season for the podcast. Yeah. Well,
2: Tech Editions has already brought so much like beautiful and interesting music to the world. And we really are so grateful and honored to be part of
1: that. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I think one thing that would be kind of interesting to talk about if we have time, the recording industry is, um,
0: no surprises here, an overwhelmingly male zone. Yeah, especially in terms of actual people in recording studios who work in recording studios. It's one of the most male-dominated in in America. (laughs) And And folks who
1: run labels, it's certainly, even our field, you know, it's like most people who are
0: running labels are men. Mm. Um, So it's really cool that, Bethany, that you mixed this album yourself. And so I was just wondering, do you have any advice to any non-male identified people who are interested in doing, having more control over their own recording process? I think... One
3: thing I've learned about my own personal relationship with music technology is fuck this notion of expertise and fuck this idea of needing to be a gearhead and whatever that means and just keep your eye on the music and technology serves you to as a tool to make music and then you gradually build up skills little by little with just practice and experience, and the second you sort of let go of like, oh, well, I'm not one of those people, it then becomes a very gratifying and empowering thing to work with as a woman and non-binary.
2: Something also really gorgeous that I am so grateful for about that process is that actually Bethany taught me so much about mixing and using the gear. Like I, I had barely set up microphones before this and she taught me so much enough that I can now mix my own material and I know how to use the tech and I know how to use the gear and that how gorgeous is that she shared that knowledge with me so it really you had a ripple effect Bethany and I hope I can pass on the knowledge at some point
1: um, to somebody else who could use a hand learning so yes that's so cool
0: yeah
1: find your allies and fuck notions of false expertise
0: yeah and fuck the feeling of superiority and exclusivity that sometimes you can get from professional music tech people
1: and as always it's a wednesday so we gotta say it fuck the patriarchy
0: fuck the patriarchy it hurts us all happy wednesday happy wednesday Wednesday. fuck the patriarchy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Thank you so so much for your time, both of you. Yes, it's, it's been
1: lovely r- to see you both.
0: Thank you for your beautiful album. Thank you. May it touch millions more ears. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks for the gorgeous
2: conversation and for supporting our work. We're so grateful.
0: It's a huge honor. Yeah. It is a huge honor. This has been the Talk Editions podcast episode 29 with Nina Dante and Bethany Young celebrating their album, Lizard Tongue. This episode was edited by me, Charlotte Mundy, and produced by me and Marina Kiverstein. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it. Please subscribe, please tell friends about it, post about it on social media. Because of course, the more people we have listening to the podcast, the more motivated we are to put out new episodes for y'all. You can hear the album by clicking the link in our show notes or searching Tongue on bandcamp.com. You can see more of Nina Dante's work at the snake said to the river by searching that username on Instagram or TikTok. And you can find more information about Bethany at her website, BethanyYoung.com. And if you're in New York, maybe we'll see you on November 9th, this Wednesday, at the Mena Center, where we'll perform "At Midnight I Walked to the Middle of the Desert" by Bethany Young, along with works by Hannah Kendall, Louis Nielsen, and Golnaz Sharifzadeh. Thanks for listening.